0: The uh, reference is on the wall here, and it's 1 Samuel, and it's chapter 28. 1 Samuel, chapter 28. For those of us who uh, don't have a Bible, there's a few spares in the middle, um, and it's 1 Samuel, chapter 28. And we're reading from verse 3, verse 3, down to verse 25. 1 Samuel, 28. 3 to 25 Now Samuel was dead and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Arim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and Saul and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and has given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Malachites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken she said look your servant has obeyed you I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way he refused and said I will not eat but his men joined the woman in urging him and he listened to them he got up from the ground and sat on the couch The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she slaughtered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. Thanks so much, Chris.
1: Good evening, everyone. A little story for you. When I started my new role here, uh, I got myself a shiny new MacBook. Very excited. But being a PC man, I didn't have a clue what to do with it. That didn't stop me, though, from having a really good fiddle. I wasted a lot of time trying to work out how to do things, and I even asked other people who had experience of fiddling as well. They gave me some advice, and so I gave it even more a fiddle, and gradually I got it to work, but perhaps not as well as it could be, because after all, I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, But what of the instruction manual, I hear you say? Perhaps some of you would have resolved the issue a bit sooner by picking up that manual and reading through it. And that would have been really sound advice, given that the instructions were written by somebody who actually knew what the device was for and how to work it. But isn't it very typical human nature that we think we're best going it alone and doing it our own way? Tonight's story, 1 Samuel 28, is all about a very desperate Saul who has lost his way. He's Forsaken the instructions and ignore them uh, that were given to him by God through his prophet Samuel. And the book of 1 Samuel charts Saul's path from Israel's king with God's blessing and his subsequent fall from grace as he rejects God. Rather than seeking God and obeying him, he instead seeks to please man instead. And where we pick up the story today, Saul is in a very sorry state. In an act of desperation, he asks the question, where is the word of God? And the focus of this passage is all about Saul and the word of God. The original readers, God's people, the Israelites, who by this time were in a divided kingdom, would have been wondering to themselves, why are they in such a mess? And it had come about because their kings, starting with Saul, had decided to turn away from God and repeatedly gone their own way. So this question, where is the word of God, is very relevant to us as well, as we need to search for God's word as it can be found, which is not necessarily where we want it to be found, and also to listen to it and to be obedient to it. In our first section this evening, we've got three brief sections. The first one is concerning the context of the passage, which portrays Saul in crisis. So, if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, uh, look to verses 4 and 5. And I'll try and throw things on the screen so you've got a copy up there as well. As we enter today's text, Saul finds himself on the eve of what will be his final battle, with the Philistines right on his doorstep, knocking at his door. And it's interesting that whereas our king, prior in 1 Samuel, in chapter 13 had been the one who'd rallied his troops when they had been trembling, here he is the trembling one. His world is collapsing around him, and the present crisis is too much for him. He's lost the capacity to be king. With what appears to be imminent defeat, Saul is really desperate, and only at this point does he inquire of God. Why has it taken so long when he's finally surrounded by all these enemies for him to turn to God? It appears that he does not want to seek God to discern God's will, but rather he wants to just know he's going to be okay. He's lived his life listening out only for what he wants to hear rather than what he's needed to hear and being obedient. The author wants us to see how Saul treats God like a comfort blanket. He only goes to God in a time of need. He's wandered his own path for so long without care for what God thinks and how God should shape his route forwards. And rather than be a consistent anchor in his life, he approaches God only as a last resort. In the same way, the author challenges us as well. How often do we only hear what we want to hear before forging our own path forwards, only consulting God when we feel that we need him again or just to justify our actions? Take, for example, our prayer lives. Maybe your prayer life is similar to mine in this way, that we treat God like, I treat prayer like our comfort blanket. Or do we treat it like an anchor? Do we turn to God just in times of trial and difficulty? Or is our fellowship with God the bedrock of our lives? Before we think that Saul perhaps could be commended for the fact that at least he's turned to God in the first place, We should recall 1 Samuel 15, which we've gone through already, but is on page 285 in your Bibles, if you want to flick there. Here we witness Samuel's last interaction with Saul, and he calls Saul out for being only partially obedient to God. Verse 22 says this, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. It shows us that God longs for our our obedience, even over self-sacrifice. God desires obedience as an act of worship. Our adoring him should be at the heart of what we do and who we are. He knows what is best for us. This is what we were made to do. This is where we find our completion in communion with God. And the author here, he draws a striking contrast, doesn't he, between Saul on one hand and David, the future king. Who in 1 Samuel 13 is described as a man after God's own heart. A man who recognises that obedience and worship of God is not a chore, but a joy. I hope that's true for you. For our second section, we look to verses 6 to 8, where Saul seeks word from God. Firstly, let's consider where should Port Saul should have looked to discern God's word. We see throughout 1 Samuel that Saul repeatedly turns back to the prophet Samuel, for he's the mouthpiece through whom God speaks to his people. However, it's marked, isn't it, that at the beginning of this passage, we learn that Samuel has died. But even before the the prophet had died, Saul had burnt all his bridges with him and his last consultation with the prophet ended with his pronouncement of judgment Saul was doomed in chapter 15 verse 28 Samuel says that Saul's kingdom was bound to be wrenched from him and given to David it's interesting that Saul what does he do with this information well he doesn't really like the sound of that so he just goes off and does his own thing We read in verse 6 of today's passage that the Lord was mysteriously or apparently silent. Saul's exhausted his options. There's three things in verse 6. Samuel, who has died, as we found out. There's the Urim, who are the means to discern God's will through the priests. But a few chapters ago, at Nob, we heard that he'd killed all of those as well. And then also dreams. Evidently, God is not revealing himself in Saul's dreams either through personal revelation. So this raises the question, then, who is God's anointed? God must have anointed somebody. We recall from chapter 16, verse 13, that it was Samuel who anointed David. And Saul has had plenty of chances, hasn't he, to reconcile with David, as we've heard in previous chapters and therefore return to the path that God wants for him. In previous chapters, we've learned of the times where David has spared Saul's life. And again, Saul has the chance to reconcile with him, and to work out how they can do a transfer, transition of power. But rather than seeking David's counsel, Saul is stubborn to the last, isn't he? He doesn't hear what he wants to hear, and so he does what he likes. He lets anger and revolt against God's anointed, overcome him. And rather than reconcile with David, he repeatedly seeks to kill him. We also see in verse 3 that Saul has driven out or killed the necromancers or mediums, and these are people who uh, try and consult the dead. They claim to. This reminds us that Saul did have better days, days when he was obedient to God, at least in part. But in the reference of our passage, it just serves as a contrast to show how foolish he is next. So letting his desire to discover what God's will was for his life, and overriding the fact that he should be obedient to God, and the fact that he's banished mediums, he goes and seeks one. And it's it's worth at this point just considering the practice of using a medium... Uh, In Deuteronomy 18, this is page 196 in your Bibles, it tells us why this practice is strictly forbidden. Verse 12 says that this act is detestable to God. Verse 9 of that same passage tells us that God wants his people to be completely removed from them. They want nothing to do with it, lest they imitate the people around them and pursue what God doesn't want for them. They want them to only consult God as the ultimate authority. Returning now to chapter 28, it's interesting that this passage doesn't really tell us anything about the practice of mediums, apart from the fact that it's forbidden. It'd be a mistake to draw too many conclusions about the practice, just from this chapter. Did the woman really have the power to bring Samuel back from the dead? Well, the text doesn't tell us that. We're simply told that Samuel appeared. But if anything, the medium's reaction in verse 12 would suggest that she was very surprised that her act worked. It would appear far more likely that this was a divine act of providence. God was acting on behalf of the medium in spite of her. The dark powers of the woman, if she had any at all, are completely irrelevant. So what then do we learn from this episode? I'd suggest the following. To carry on seeking the word of the Lord that your sinful soul likes is to deny the word of the Lord that your sinful soul needs. I'll break that down a little bit. In other words, we're to search for God's word where it can be found and listen to it. Since we're sinful, we don't often hear what God is trying to tell us. We often only hear what we want to hear, the lies that Satan would have us believe, rather than what God wants us to hear. That is truth, even when that truth is hard to comprehend or it's hard to follow. Instead, we only hear what we want to hear. We'll transform what we hear and we'll mold it into what we want to hear, what we want to do, so that we can then proceed and do whatever we want. As humans, we're masters of deception, aren't we? So how about working on identifying that in yourself and don't tell lies to yourself. Rather, look to God, trust him, even when it's difficult in the short term, as God knows what is best for us. I'm sure you could bring to mind some of the lies that you periodically tell yourself. If you're really honest, maybe the lies that you see other people tell themselves, you also see you telling yourself. For Saul, one of the lies that he believed was that the word of the Lord was only with Samuel. Hence, after Samuel's death, he thought that he needed to go to Samuel to resurrect him in order to get God's word. But if it wasn't for his pride, then he might have realized that actually David was anointed. Why not go to him? And the writer of this passage wants us to, see, wants to show how similar our hearts can be to Saul's. So what lies do we hear or tell ourselves? I'm sure you can think of some examples, but here's some for you. Maybe the significance of work. The harder, the work, harder I work, the more significant I am. Or, it's not my fault I've been driven to divorce or have an affair. I'm only valuable if I can have an impact in my community. informing forming our identity on that. Or how about, I'm only worth something if I get great grades. Or if I look a certain way. The list goes on. It's true that the bigger the sin in our lives, the bigger the lie that we have to take on to justify it. The bigger the lie, the more difficult we make it for ourselves to observe truth. When we hear what God has to say for us, do we brush it off as inconvenient or unpalatable, or do we humbly receive it and repent? In our third section, we come to the actual conversation that Saul has with Samuel from verses 15 to 19. So let's look at that. In this ensuing conversation, Samuel preaches to Saul, but it's noteworthy that his message actually is no different to the one that he had before, in chapter 15, with the sole exception of him saying that the next day surely Saul was going to die as a result of his action. There's no fresh revelation here, but instead... It's a summary or regurgitation of Samuel's last pronouncement in chapter 15. For example, in verse 17, he's told that his kingdom is going to be taken away from him and given to David. Why? In verse 18, we read, because of his lack of obedience. In verse 19, we read that God's final judgment on Saul will be swift. Tomorrow, he'll be dead. In other words, all that Saul has needed to know, he's already been told. It's already been spoken. And this only highlights that it's not Saul obeying God's word that's the issue. Sorry, it is Saul not obeying God's word that's the issue, rather than God isn't speaking. And this repetition must have been really marked for the original readers or hearers of this passage. Why did God not reveal something afresh to Saul? Well, it's because he has already been told everything that he needed to know. And we can sometimes be like this with the Bible, if we're honest. This is God's final word. And in it, we receive the final revelation of who God is in Jesus. What it teaches us is final. So let's make sure we listen to it and obey it and rejoice that in it, it's completely sufficient. It's everything that we need. A really great contrast in this passage that 's really striking is god 's grace towards Saul. Saul doesn 't deserve to be given another chance to hear Samuel 's words, but despite his sinfulness, God graciously and miraculously brings up Samuel. while God he desires that Saul, that Saul would repent he knows he won 't and yet he still chooses to graciously bless him and similarly in our acts, in our moments of great need, when we are at our weakest, when we have our greatest sin, God graciously meets us at a point of need. In Saul's darkest moment, we see that God sends Samuel as a token of God's grace. In our lives, God sends his son, Jesus. This is incredible grace, God's undeserved favor to us. So finally, we turn full circle back to Saul's question at the beginning. A question that we should perhaps keep asking ourselves. Where do we find God's word? I want to turn to Hebrews 1 for this, page 1201 in your Bibles. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, like through Samuel. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Fantastic words. This highlights the truth that God's word is perfectly represented and displayed in Jesus. And as God said of his own son in Mark uh, Mark 6, verse 9, he said, Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. It's only right that we look to him, that we learn from him, that we seek to imitate him. You'll see, i meant to bring it up with me, these little um, red Mark's Gospel that we've been handing out recently in this church over Christmas, for example. And this tiny little book contains all of Mark's Gospel. And in that one little book that you could read in an hour or so, We have all that we need to know about Jesus. It's that accessible to learn about him. So why don't we seek to learn him more and seek to give that to other people if it's so easy for them to read about him. Looking at Saul, we see hopelessness. We see despair in Saul's final days. But this needn't be ours. We needn't be hopeless or in despair. Ephesians 2.12, Paul graphically describes the utter helplessness of those who are separated from Christ. These people have no hope without God in the world. To be in this world, to be without God, is indeed to have no hope. Let's bring that hope to people. In 1 Samuel 28, we see the utter hopelessness of King Saul exposed Yet, we have Jesus. We have God's final revelation. All that we need. And we need not be separated from Christ if we accept his sacrifice and the redemption that he offers. If you don't know him yet, I really encourage you to do all that you can to find out more. Maybe start with Mark's gospel. But for all of us, let's follow the advice of the writer of Samuel. Don't be like Saul, and hear God's word, but ignore it, and go your own way. But let us seek God's words, listen to it, and obey.
0: I've
1: got some questions. It will be great to just reflect briefly on these. Um, pick one, if needs be. Pick the easiest looking one. Have a little discussion, but remember to spend a little bit of time in prayer, if you can as well, to encourage one another, build each other up.